Raph. James. We don't like to do this, obviously. No. Because we're generally right yeah. about most things we talk about. At least directionally. Directionally correct. Well, actually, you know what? We are here, too. It's a complex issue. But there's a mayor culpa we have to yeah. lead with. Be honest with you guys about what's going on. Uh, our premium episode last week, which some of you wouldn't have heard because you're not premium members. You should be. $7. It's cheap as chips. It's cheap as chips and you get an extra episode a week. What the? And access to the Discord. Brilliant. Yeah, amazing. Uh, we, we said... No ads. No ads. We said that Google having barred as it, the name of its AI product was pretty good. We were, we were like, that's good branding. That's a great name. In fact, you know what? Roll tape. ChatGPT, worst brand name in history. Bard, kind of nice. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Kind of nice. Like you, you get what they're getting at there. So we said that, and the very day that we published that <laughs> podcast, making us look like fools, Google announced that they were completely deprecating the Bard brand name. Yeah. They were going entirely with Gemini. Yeah. Uh, I think they listened to the episode somehow. Yeah. Hacking. They got wind of what we were up to. Yeah. Of where we were standing, and they decided... We can't let Downround be dictating what we're doing. No. They're too powerful. Yeah. Soon they'll be C- like they'll be joint CEO if we let this stuff go on. And they went the opposite direction. Which obviously show- speaks to the cancer within their corporate culture at Google. It certainly, it certainly sh- it shows how paralyzed Google is that a couple of podcasters would scare them like yeah. that. Right? Us saying that's actually a really goaded name and they've done really well compared to, say, ChatGPT and even like Llama and all this crap. But it's a great name. To think that that scared them so much that they changed it entirely, uh, it doesn't really reflect well on Google, but it does reflect really well on the Down Round podcast. Anyway, I just, uh, just wanted to keep you guys all abreast of the fact that we are cognizant of what's going on in the market. Yeah, we're not just reflecting the news, we're making the news. Today, we're talking about something that we teased last week for no real reason, because it's not really a huge anticipatory moment. But Why not? We're talking about DNA testing. DNA testing. Ancestry.com, you know, 23 and me. you know this, looking up, you know, oh, I'm, oh, I'm actually 2% Nigerian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There comes a time in every white person's life where they wake up and they say, I need to find out exactly what percentage English, Scottish and Irish I am yeah. and what the breakdown is. Yeah. And maybe there might be like a 3% Levantine in there or like a 3% Eastern European. Well, isn't that interesting? And they'd be like, that's well, so fascinating. And then you call your parents and you're like, now where did this come from? <laughs> where did this little Mongolian in us come from? <laughs> and then you, can th- then you can start describing yourself as Mongolian. <laughs> Um, in, in polite conversation and on resumes, in your Twitter bio, you can start saying, proud Mongolian. Mm. And you couldn't do that before. I'm a Mongol. You're a Mongol, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've often said that in disposition. Mm. You're kind of Genghis Khan-esque in the way that you approach I see myself business. as more of a Kubler. You're more of a, uh, more of a negotiator, a guy that sort of manages the empire rather than expanding it. Is that your kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. That's great. Uh, no, but we're talking about 23andMe and uh, Ancestry and all those kind of DNA testing. Yeah, what's the deal? What's the deal? What's going on there? And the reason that we're bringing it up is because, shock horror, it turned out to be a little bit of, dare I say, a zero interest rate phenomenon. Yes. like On the one, business side. Once again, on the business side, is this a multi-billion dollar company when... The product is 
you send a DNA test to someone and then they send it back and then you send them, you know, some documents saying here's your percentage of your exactly uh, your um, DNA, here's your ancestry. Is that a multi-billion dollar business, no. sustainable, huge company? Yeah, it's interesting because it was a huge craze, right? 23andMe, especially in the US, when it first took off, you know, it was really trendy to order the fucking DNA kit, spit into the test tube. Mm. They had celebrity spit parties. Oh. You know, all the celebs were getting into this. You oh, go and you find is... out what's going on. You, you find this distasteful. Well, it's it's comet pizza adjacent, right? You can see why people come up with this stuff when you hear <laughs> about celebrity spit parties, right? Yeah. That's cool, yeah, yeah. Do, doing this, participating in DNA testing culture, like Rafa, he's, he's not hitting the nail on the head. It's pedo adjacent. <laughs> no, but the reason we're bringing it up is because it was such a huge moment. Everyone was starting to do it. You probably, if you haven't done it, you probably know someone who did this. Well, you've done it, right? Well, I've done it. I'm going to, I'll take you through my experience in a little bit, little bit. I did it through Ancestry. But there was a Wall Street Journal article that came out two weeks ago that put a little bit of a pin in the craze by pointing out something that anyone that was following the stock price would know, which is that 23andMe's stock price has crashed to 98%. It's worth 2% of its peak, which it was valued at $6 billion. Mm. Um, it went public via a SPAC. It went public, which is always a, a bit of a risk factor. It's always a red we've, flag. We've heard your your pleas that we should do a SPAC episode. Yeah. We're just doing a long-term strategy and how we can do that in a way that doesn't put 75% of our audience to sleep, but we will <laughs> we will get to it. But yeah, if you heard a company went public as a SPAC, it's pretty fair to say that most of them are probably not doing that well. Yes. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there are definitely a couple of bangers, I think, that went public via SPAC. There are a few that are performing quite well. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, you know, if you're avoiding the usual IPO process, there may be some demons in your... Um, yeah, it basically your... means you don't have to do the due diligence before going public. It's pretty much as simple as that. Your books are not as open. Yeah. So some some quick examples. I know we're not going to talk about SPACs, but uh, for example, BuzzFeed, public virus SPAC. Uh, Nikola, the Tesla clone that turned out that in their uh, videos where they were showing their electrically powered truck actually had no engine and it was actually pushed down a decline, like a down, it was pushed down a slope and they just kind of straightened the video footage to make it look like it was going on flat road. This kind of gear was, was going public via a SPAC. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Nikolai guy's in jail now, I believe, right? So, so, actually, so fraudulent companies. Uh, not every company that went public via a SPAC is a fraudulent company. No, we would never suggest that, but, you know, it's an interesting signal. That's all I'll just say that. Anyway, so 23andMe, as, as I kind of just alluded to before, they launched as like a DNA testing startup. And, you know, this fits into this wider sort of like biotech thing, right? You know, consumer accessible biotech. Mm. DNA science is advancing significantly. It, it's cheaper and quicker to do DNA tests. They've mapped out the human genome, et cetera, et cetera. This is a way for average consumers to get their hands on the secrets of the human genome. Yes. And the consumer way to get into that market, like why people actually want to do it, you know, people obviously get genetic testing sometimes for medical reasons or whatever, but people want to find out... How African they are. How African they are. And when it's 0%, they have a mental event. <laughs> uh, no, because, yeah, it's the, it's this genealogy thing. There's a big genealogy craze that happened in the 21st century online mm-hmm. when... It used to be the sort of thing where you'd have to sit around in a library and go through records. Mm. You know, go to the State Library of South Wales and read convict records to find out, you know, what boat your great-grandparents came over on or whatever. 
or talk to your grandmother or something. I guess it wasn't that long ago. Whereas this opened up Ancestry.com and whatever, opened up this whole world where you could look at all digitized archives, you could mm. build your own family tree or whatever. And this kind of played into the same sort of thing. How about you find out where you were from, where your family's from, ancient genetic data that's not captured by, you know, uh, public records. And now, like obviously, as a business model, that is not enough because that's a very, like, one and done kind of model, right? Exactly. Like, I sent it off. It cost me 150 bucks or whatever it is. Yep. Um, I get the results. Okay, cool. Very interesting. You get the, you get the breakdown. Yeah. You get the percentages. And then what? And, like, now, and now I should probably point out as well, people have, like, gone to, like, all of the different ones. And this is not an exact science, you know, no DNA. So like you are liable to get different breakdowns depending on who you go to. Yeah. But you know, that I'm is not, what it I'm is. I'm not going to call the whole field of genetic science fraudulent. <laughs> I won't go that far, but it is not as you're right. It's definitely not an exact science. Mm. You could probably take a 23andMe test five, six, seven times and get, I'm not going to say radically different results, but like solidly different results mm. each time. That's just, that's just. It is what in. it is. Um, but yeah. Back to the business side of things. This is why the expansion element was things like, and it's kind of obvious, A, yeah, family tree. So make people stick around. Make people keep paying. How do we make them, you know, pay a subscription or whatever? Stay around so you can really work out your family tree. And some people are really into this. Some people are into this family tree stuff. You know, some certain last names will, like, go and have a convention every four years in Canada and whatnot. You know, like, this kind of gear. That kind of stuff. Couldn't be me. But, yeah. But I like... I say it couldn't be me, but I did the whole ancestry thing. This is why I, I went through it. A, because I was like, I didn't do it super long ago because I was kind of like, this is something that we should do on down round eventually. Mm-hmm. And B, I had done the genealogy part of ancestry where it's like you just go through the records and connect it up. And it's a, it's a natural thing for ancestry to have expanded into. Mm-hmm. I think they launched in like 2006 or 2007 where you could do the DNA test, which is meant to like, all right, you've read the records. Now you can see genetically where you've come from mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but you're right. When 23 and me were doing it, they would charge you 180 bucks, whatever. That's kind of like you've you've paid them. Mm. There's a there's a limit on how many people are going to be interested in this, no matter how aggressively you market and how many celebrity spit parties yeah. happen. And then what? So the next kind of phase that 23 and me have moved into ancestry.com and and other public providers of this is like the medical side, which mm. brings it into this kind of like health tech, biotech thing, mm. where it's like you can figure out what your different genetic traits are, which is kind of interesting, being like, oh, I've got the gene for um, getting a really red face when I'm drinking beer yeah, or whatever, but also... Asian flush syndrome. Sure. Or I'm genetically predisposed towards certain diseases, which is obviously useful. Yeah. To know if, you know, if you're genetically predisposed to getting stomach cancer or something, it's nice to know. Yeah. Or maybe it's nice to not know, actually, now, yeah. that, now that I mentioned ignorance that. Ignorance is bliss, as I- they say. Ignorance is, is bliss. So 23andMe especially, Ancestry.com uh, is really stuck to like the more non-medical sort of things. Yeah, well, he- here's the massive difference. So Ancestry was bought by private equity for $4.6 billion. They, Blackstone. They, uh, yeah, Blackstone. They specifically are not trying to monetize user data like user dna data and are kind of yeah they're sticking to this side of things here's some personality traits are you you know do you are you likely to be good at riding a unicycle yeah that kind of stuff in fact you know what i'm going to pull it up yeah come on give I'm us, gonna, I'm gonna give pull, us your personal your I'm lived gonna, experience I'm, I'm going to bring it up so i did the ancestry one to be clear ancestry charges a 
subscription, which is to access all the family tree stuff. Mm. And they definitely target it at people who are like habitually very, very into doing family trees and shit. Because it's an ongoing subscription. For me, it's kind of like I do it once and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. You know, that's where my great, 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 great grandfather was. But yeah. then I'm like, oh, well, I know it now. So I can just sort of like stop paying, yeah. stop getting access and, to the family and, tree. And but part of that is, right, people from your, you know, genealogy or whatever, your great, great aunt went in and in, like inputted that information, right? And it kind of crowdsources it together based it, on it, DNA. Yeah, it does too. So it has a whole bunch of listings. So it's got all the public. Because they obviously don't have your great, 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 great grandfather's DNA. No, 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 they don't. So that this is all public listings and people adding stuff in. And then you can upload your DNA through the spit test. Yeah. And what it does then is it also just throws up a bunch of Ancestry users and I kind of like this person is your fifth cousin or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's and an it, ecosystem. And you can message them like a social network. Yeah. Can't say I've ever been inclined to do that. When it's like you have a distant cousin that lives in Massachusetts. It's like, well, that's great. I hope they're doing well, but I'm not going to – I have no interest in talking to them. Um, so, yeah, for, for the downround heads who have been really fascinated to know what my ethnic makeup is, I'm happy to announce that it's basically 30-30-30 of English, Scottish and Irish. So the classic Australian. <laughs> so the, the perfect Australian mix. There's a, there is like a, a 2% Welsh in there, wow. which, I, which I think is revealed. That is exotic. Revealed pretty strongly. And it even, it even has like an estimate of what your parents might be, and it's exactly the same breakdown. So it's a real, you know, it's... It's big, um, very big. But the hard science, folks. They do have the traits. And now this I find phenomenally unscientific because a lot of it is Ancestry building their own database through polling. Mm-hmm. They'll just poll all the people who have submitted the DNA and yeah. be like, oh, more people. Who do you do. like cats or dogs? Yeah, that kind of shit. So a lot of it, I mean, some of it is built on scientific research, but some of it is built on polling. Um, the first one, it has a big uh, blue new button, so they've just added this genetic marker, which is uh, I am genetically predisposed to not be able to play a musical instrument. Which, And I, I play guitar, so this is obviously a huge roast, yeah. but I'm genetically not good at it. <laughs> I've heard you play, mate. You've got, you, you're good. You're good uh, at guitar. Oh, thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Um, Giving you, like, basically collect guitars, that is an insane roast. That is, yeah. Um, your DNA suggests you smell a distinctive odour in your urine after eating asparagus. Okay. <laughs> uh, I... Did not need to know. I did, Well, I, I couldn't even tell you, to be honest. I don't really eat a huge amount of asparagus. Uh, my DNA suggests I drink a lot less caffeine than average. Mm. Would you say that? I, don't, I, th- I think I drink it uh, quite a lot. James, your, your, your DNA suggests you don't get hangry, as okay. in angry when you're hungry. I think that's true. I don't really get it. You're up. a pretty placid guy. Yeah, yeah. My, my DNA suggests I have a stronger tendency to avoid taking risks. Mm. That's rough. That's brutal. I don't know. Your lifestyle as like a, you know, a writer is inherently risky. Your DNA suggests you don't like to dance. That's true. I'm not much of a dancer, to be honest. Nailed it. <laughs> this stuff is true. And then I don't have an aversion to coriander. You know, that's that genetic Yeah, thing. that like it tastes like I enjoy water. the taste of cilantro. Very true. I'm genetically disposed to not lose my hair. Anyway, so there's a whole lot of you things. You do have a lot of hair. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that, see, the hair stuff, I would I'd feel, like, I feel like surely there's something to it. Yeah. So, and this one. Surely you can DNA the hair thing. Yeah. Your DNA suggests you did not develop all four of your wisdom teeth. True. I have no wisdom teeth. I was wow. Born, I was born without them. Do you think there's a correlation between keeping your hair and not having wisdom teeth? Or maybe not having wisdom teeth and, and not being uh, a risk taker? Maybe. Mm. I had all I had all of mine removed. 
Yeah. Anyway, so the point is, this is the kind of stuff you can do. And I'm just, I've just looked at this now, and they really don't have that many things. So it's not really something that alone would get me to keep subscribing to well, Ancestry. The idea, right, is that you need to subscribe because once they learn new things, you'll get updated on like the new things. They'll be like, hey, well, this is the they just they just added the musical instrument thing. Yeah. So like, I'm sitting, I'm going to sit there and pay X amount per year so that they could come in and say the eggheads have come back and you can't play guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. Um, anyway, but. So that's kind of like the fun side of it, which is very much what Ancestry is playing in. They're mm-hmm. kind of like, you can learn where you've come from. We'll show you a fun little map of like where your ancestors have come from. Mm. Um, you know, you can find out whether you are genetically predisposed to like coriander. How cool. 23andMe were taking a very different route, mm. which is more in the healthcare space, which is both less fun and also way more contentious. Like yeah. people are a little bit more touchy about that kind of stuff. There's well, more yeah, regulation. I... There's more... Yeah, I just said that like Ancestry, they don't share your information. Whereas 23andMe, they aggregate all the DNA and you can actually buy it. If you're like a third party, classic examples, GlaxoSmithKline pays them $20 million a year to access their DNA catalog. Yeah. To like license it so that they, they're big pharma, um, can, you know, develop their, do their own research and develop things based on the 23andMe database of like DNA information. Yeah, and this is obviously a contentious area because people uh, naturally have a bit of an aversion to the idea that like there is a bundle of DNA data that's going around yeah. and being sold to whoever. There's also the it coming into um, like criminal investigations. This has become a big thing over the past yeah. few years of American police subpoenaing 23 to get access to genetic data. Yeah, which like to solve well, historic they, crimes and and. Someone did get done a number yeah, of years the, ago. You probably saw it just because, like, a family member had done a DNA that, yeah, test. It was the it was the Golden State Killer in the, the it was like State a, a serial killer from you know the seventies and eighties, who yeah, like a rel- a cousin or a, a niece or something had done a test. They did subpoenaed it when with like a historic piece of evidence that they collected from a crime scene. Were kind of like this person is there's a ninety nine point nine five percent chance they're related, and all they had to do was get a DNA sample from this guy who was already on their list. I think. Mm. To figure it out. Some people might find that troubling. Others are kind of like, let's solve some old serial killings. I know I had, I, I, a friend of mine once said, he was like, I'm doing a 23-minute test. So like any serial killers in my, ex- in my extended family get done. Wow. It was like a citizen's arrest kind <laughs> of was, deal. It's kind of like a citizen's arrest. Maybe you get interviewed in a documentary. You know, there's, a, there's, there's some stuff to build from that. Yeah. I mean, it is snitch tech adjacent. It's incredibly snitch tech adjacent. But it, it does illustrate a difference between this kind of like fun DNA kind of thing oh, wow, I can find out all about me. Mm. And then actually there's value here that insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies and police agencies Mm. will actually find quite valuable. Yeah. But it puts you in like a precarious position legally. And this is kind of what 23andMe have run into. As we said at the beginning, we flagged, they're having a shit time. Yeah. Yeah, But they're they're looking for ways to raise funds. So like, to be clear, they are are and have been losing a lot of money yep. forever, basically. Anywhere between 75 and 150% um, negative net margin per year, i.e. they're losing cash hard. Yep. Um, and it, like even their gross margins are pretty low at around 30%. So they're exploring these interesting different avenues. They've partnered with some 
drug maker to make their first drug based on DNA, like this massive library of DNA that's like something that supposedly reduces tumors by 20%, looks vaguely promising, but... Well, this this is the big thing that they're kind of moving. So we'll talk a bit about how they're making money, but their big kind of like how Mary they're doing right now is like drug development. Mm. The idea that we have all this genetic data, we can actually start producing drugs that tackle certain genetically determinant illnesses or whatever, mm. but... As we kind of mentioned a bit when we were like Ozempic episode, and I think we've talked about it before, drug development is like a very expensive endeavor. It's super long term. Yeah. Like it takes, you know, 10 years minimum to go through all the friggin' stages of trials and regulation, as it should be. As it should. And the Wall Street Journal reported on 23andMe, they had like 100 different drug candidates they're working on. Mm. And of those 100, two of them are showing some promise mm. of being something that may be monetizable in you know, 10 years. Uh, so that's like a, for a company that's like a consumer tech company and valued as a consumer tech company and is public and has people breathing down their necks about how the fuck are you making money from this genetic thing? Yeah. Being like, these two of a hundred things that we're testing may be okay in 10 years is a yeah. difficult dice roll. And yeah, when we're talking about drugs that like reduce tumor size by 20%, this isn't, we're not talking a Novo Nordis here. Like this is not an, you know, Azempic level. We're not talking about insulin. We're not, you know. Yeah, totally. This is still going to be a relatively niche drug, unless they work out a way to give everyone the tumors and create an ecosystem there. Now we're cooking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe the spit test can give you a tumor. Yeah, yeah. Find the people who are like, use their DNA to target people who have a propensity to get tumors from, you know, living near high wire things. Do a partnership with. Uh, what's the American like housing one? Zillow. Do a partnership with Zillow yep. where you target discounts at people who have the propensity to get tumors living underneath like big electrical wires so that they get discounts on those properties because we have dynamic pricing. Get them to move in there, sell them the drug. Now we're cooking. We're this cooking, is, folks. This is why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're, you're ruthless. You're a risk taker. Yes. If you did the test, they would show that you were indicated for that. Yeah. And maybe good at playing an instrument. I should check. I should do a test. I am. I'm. This is the thing. I'm vaguely intrigued. This is the business model. People who are like, oh, yeah, I'm vaguely. I'm vaguely intrigued, but not enough to go to the website, let alone get a credit card out yet. It's a big because it's a big commitment. Like I did it because I was like, you know, all right, I've already done the this family tree, and I'm like, it's kind of interesting. Let's see what else I can find out. I'm already in the ancestry pipeline, and they really pump the kind of advertising or incentivizing you to go do it, mm. make it really easy to add to order. But it's still like you got to order the package. It comes to you. You spit in the tube. You mail it off. It takes like eight or nine weeks to come back. Yeah, I had kind of forgotten I did it until I got the notification that the results had come through. Mm. So it's tough. It's 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 really tough to get people over the line. And as we said. Aside from the business of bundling everything up and selling it to pharmaceutical companies and whoever, it's very hard to get repeat business because most people just do it once as a novelty. Most yeah. people are not that invested, um, which is the other part of the uh, 23andMe story of what they're trying to do. Aside from drug development, which is the big dice roll, the other one is the classic you know, um, tech company approach. Everyone's doing it or, or done it or plan to do it subscriptions yeah and like more and more advanced subscriptions so ancestry as i said if you're uh, someone who's really interested in genealogy and building family trees and reaching out to people who may be distantly related to you if that's your bag you you'd be paying for an ancestry it's a mega retired thing to do it's, it's exactly it's the thing where it's like i'm just going to find out 
What were the Dixon clan up to 200 years ago? Yeah, my late father apparently spent like a shitload of his money restoring like the gravestones of like ancestors that we've never met. Like genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of that. But for 23andMe where they don't really have as much of the genealogy aspect – as I said, leaning into the health thing, they basically released a whole bunch of different tiers of health-related subscriptions with the idea being you can sort of obsessively follow your genetic health, what you're predisposed Mm. to have problems with. As I said before, you might get stomach cancer, you might be predisposed to get some kind of blood illness and it will always be updating you on what the latest genetic research is. Yeah, as push notifications. As it pertains to you. Like, they just discovered a new form of ultra cancer that you have a 95% chance of getting. Yeah. Again, not for me. And also, the highest level of that subscription they offer is about $1,200 or $1,300 a year. So, and it also includes, like, blood tests, regular other testing. It's kind of like that. It's almost like a personalized... GP service as well as being a genetic thing. Yeah. People don't need, you don't need to know this. You don't need to keep up to date on like what your bloods are and like where your iron levels no. are and like, yeah, your propensity to catch this new virus. Like you just got to get it. I have a, um, like rich hypochondriacs seems like their target market. Yeah. Which cannot, which is maybe good if you were like uh, some sort of small health consultancy with like GPs on staff and you only deal with really rich clients, that's probably a great business. Yeah, yeah. But if you're a massive scaled tech company, it starts to be like, that's, Why would that's, anyone not really, that's not really a market, right? Yeah, a bunch of lunatics. Tangentially related. My sister-in-law is a physio. Yeah. And she was like, we always ask like, what are you concerned with to our clients? Because if they were to say like, give me a full body scan or whatever, People have so much shit wrong with their backs. Like they'll have a slip disc and they'll have, you know, vertebrae out of sync, like whatever. But if they don't notice, like they don't feel the pain. Like they don't, it doesn't really affect them in any way. It's only like if you, if anyone went in and got like a proper scan and a proper do-over, you'd have like four different problems with your back. And then it'll start hurting, obviously, if you know that you've got like your slip disc and all this kind of crap. But like if you don't know... <laughs> Then you're fine. You're all good. I think that applies to to many things in life. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like the kind of customer they're trying to talk to has something really, really wrong with them in the brain. Like, yeah. You have a propensity to be obsessed with your own genealogy and bloods. Like you're getting to like the Brian Johnson yeah. anti-aging guy sort of thing. Like, yes, that we're definitely moving into a world where more tech companies are interested in personal health and like offering health concierge services, like a better, slicker, nicer way to do health. You know, we had the eucalyptus guys on and yeah. and they are very much in that kind of realm, yeah, yeah. very online. Look, I don't, I don't deny that the experience of going to a doctor is, is pretty shitty. It's pretty shitty. But the kind of people who was like, I need to be doing bloods multiple times a year just, yeah, yeah. just to see what's going on. Not Pissing be- on, sending my piss, sending my shit, you know, this kind of stuff. <laughs> Mailing my piss and shit all over the place, you know. <laughs> Needing a push notification on my phone when they discover some new frightening blood illness that yeah. I'm, I have a 2% inclination to get. Yeah. It's like, to be that kind of person, that's just, that's going to be your focus. Yeah. Like, you're either an Olympic athlete or you're a fucking freak. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, totally. You're getting all kinds of shit done to you. And this is what the Wall Street Journal basically said on this reporting. Again, 98% drop in value for 23andMe and they basically made the same point where it's like the ideal customer for this there's not going to be that many of them most people will only do this once Mm. a subscription is probably not going to tempt them certainly not like a 
1100 $1,200 a year subscription. Yeah. Who is this for? And it just comes back to this was a real cultural moment where everyone was kind of like, genetics is the future of healthcare, which is potentially still true. Like, I'm willing to accept that's true. CRISPR, you know, that kind of stuff. Seems yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, totally. Like, when I say here, genetics is the future of healthcare, I'm thinking about me getting like a third arm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like a third, like one that sort of comes out of my chest. I would want one that sort of lays relatively flush mm-hmm. so I could wear a baggy shirt and not. Yeah, no one would know about the third no, arm no until one, you need it. Until you need it. Yeah. You know, it might be like a situation where it's like I'm carrying a few things. Oh, what about if you're like just cooking, but you also want to like watch a YouTube thing? So you, your third arm just holds the phone in front of your face. That would actually... And you're just cooking with two hands, chopping things, chopping onions, this kind of gear that you, you know, realistically you need two hands to chop an onion. I think you do. You can't, we you can can't, agree on that. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Absolutely. So it would be nice if I had a third arm to just hold my phone because I could probably just glance down at the onion while I'm cutting it. I guess you could like a, have a wraparound chest-mounted sort of arm <laughs> that's just, just like a, a holder. Like the same way people have like those ones so they can watch an iPad in bed while it's <laughs> – you could have one of those that sort of mounts onto your chest. But I do think that having an actual biological third arm that yeah. actually moves – That I can control independently. You can control independently and move around. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so when I hear genetics is the future of healthcare, that's the sort of shit I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of the iPhone arm. Yeah, iPhone arm. You would, you'd feel pretty sheepish if you got a genetically engineered third arm on your chest and then everyone started wearing VR, VR goggles. Yeah, 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 when you have a virtual third arm. But, you know, I, I still believe, what about rock climbing? It'd be good for rock climbing if you're really into that kind of lifestyle. <laughs> I'm just picturing a, a rock climber. You know, you're, you're always at the rock climbing gym, probably in a poly relationship of some description. Yeah. You're really into in getting out in the boulders on a weekend. Would a third arm be useful or would it get in the way? No, I think it'd be... You could check your phone. Well, <laughs> so you'd be rock climbing and you'd be able to watch YouTube. Yeah. I'll do the third I'm sensing a theme about what we would find useful in a new limb. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those businesses that once again, should this be a big public company, high growth, that's still losing you know, so much money in order to achieve growth or is that growth just not really there? Totally. And the other thing that we, we didn't mention but is incredibly important is that they had a massive data leak. Yes, that is very <laughs> important. And they handled it incredibly poorly. Yeah. In fact, it's still it's still not... So basically, initially the reports were they lost 14,000 accounts, which, you know, in the scheme of things isn't that bad. And they immediately went on the front foot and said... Uh, it was customers who had not changed their password, i.e. it was customers whose passwords were in for, like other data breaches and then um, attackers used brute force, i.e., you know, so whatever. There's been some other data, data breach from a forum or from God knows what other service and then attackers used the, the emails and passwords that are on that to just pound 23andMe and see which ones worked and 14,000 of them worked. But then it kind of came out that actually there were 6.4 million accounts breached yep. and it's not really confirmed how that happened because that no longer sounds like it was a brute force attack just using already known passwords yeah totally and it's in the grand scheme obviously all data leaks are bad at the unram we're huge respecters of customer data of course the sanctity of customer data it must never be leaked yeah uh all your data is hashed when you that's a lie i shouldn't say that because that's probably illegal <laughs> Your data is not hashed. I mean, your passwords are. We can't see your passwords. Your passwords are hashed. 
when you subscribe to Downround. Well, look, I was actually we're, we don't even have passwords. We have like the single click thing. We got single sign. We got, we got single sign in. But I was actually speaking more in general terms. So we just respect the concept yeah, of customer data. I do. I, I highly respect the concept of customer I don't, data. I don't want to make for you to extrapolate onto how our own sort of data protection policies or anything mm. like that. But just generally speaking, we think everyone's data should be sacrosanct. Yes. And stay where it's supposed to be. Firstly, we take customer data very seriously. That's right. Yep. Exactly. Which is how you should start every crisis PR every, yeah, exactly. email about how very we collect your data. We take your privacy and data very seriously as a matter of course. Yep. Um, however, it's your fault that somehow we lost 6.4 million of your <laughs> accounts. you didn't change your fucking password. And a further five point, like apparently, because obviously like it's DNA, like all of those people's like families are affected basically because you know like yeah, exactly. their DNA is related. So there's DNA out there. There's DNA. Well, and this is this is the point I was going to make, which is that you know it, it's very bad when there's a hack and people's credit card numbers and passport scans and numbers are lost mm. and, and in the hands of Romanian hackers. That's very bad. But I think there's like a different level of like intrusion and violation when it's like my genetic data. And it's every, just floating out there. It's just floating forums. out in the world. <laughs> you know, my insurance company is buying it off data brokers to yeah. see if they could deny me coverage or whatever, maybe in some like weird world. It definitely, you know, I would not feel comfortable to know that my genetic data was flying around. Yeah. Which, you know, you might say, why did you give it to Ancestry.com? Uh, that's a great question. And who knows about how sacrosanct their security policies and how sacrosanct uh, Black, we don't know. Blackstones are. Yeah, ha- have Ancestry.com made a statement about whether they take customer data seriously. privacy seriously? I've not seen it in my inbox. The only email I've got from them is, you have a new cousin in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> there is a world where insurance companies and whatnot will just like start saying, well, that- like, as, as this proliferates, I know America was trying to make laws and shit around this, but like as the technology gets cheaper and proliferates, then why wouldn't an insurance company be like, oh yeah, just like send us your DNA? Yeah, I mean, that's the, yeah, that's like one of the big concerns people have is just like once this becomes incredibly normalized and people aren't just doing it for a lark or to find out their own sort of genetic predisposition. Yeah, and you can do it like you could do a COVID test or whatever. Yeah, because it it seems like it's, apart from the fact it takes a little while, it's still a relatively simple process mm. what's the yeah what's to stop a, a big insurer from just being like before you sign on with us you got to take this test it's like that's just price of entry yeah. if they can do it cheap enough to justify it um then potentially that is weird but i think what this 23andme thing sort of reveals is that on a purely like consumer basis being like selling subscriptions to regular people who care a lot about dna plus these other sort of dice rolls on pharma development and whatever, it's tough. It's not like a, a slam dunk, despite the fact they, were su- they had such a cultural moment where everyone was talking about genetic history and every- everyone finding out where you came from. Mm. Where are your roots? Yeah. We need to know. We need to know. We need to know what you're 3% of. I need to know. Because it matters. Exactly. What makes me different from 75% of the Australian population. Yeah, I'm the citizen of the world. Now, you know what? That's the thing that really stood out to me once I did this test. Mm. I was like, sure, I'm 30% Irish, 30% Scottish, and 30% English. But I consider myself just as Egyptian <laughs> or Jordanian or yeah. Brazilian. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm all of these. I'm I all am these Paraguayan. That- Give me my global citizen passport now. <laughs> now. <laughs> 
If you're listening to this, did you know there's another world out there where you get a second episode of Down Round a week? Yep, it's called Down Round Premium. That's right, and there's no interruptions. No interruptions, no ads, two episodes a week, including the free one you're getting right now, plus another one. Yep, seven bucks a month, not a week, a month, downround.net. Downround.net, instant access to the whole back catalogue as well. You've got so much to catch up on. There's so much. Get around it. Mmm. <laughs> 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 <laughs>